Right, we are back. Let's get this right. Bit of technical difficulties. Tune into Temper and Flow Music Industry Talks. I can see the boss man is here. Here we go. Let's get him on. Let's get him on. We're back. Hey. Apologies, apologies, apologies. No, it's fine. How are you? I'm very good, Lloyd. I'm very good. I'm glad to be talking to you. I can't think of anything I'd prefer to be doing, big man. <laughs> well, you know, I've waited to get you on uh, this for a minute, and now we're doing it, and it's exciting, you know? And this is about helping the next generation, you know, dropping gems for the youth and talking about people's journeys and their experiences um, and how they got where they are. So I think we should just jump straight into it, you know, because these things lock off after an hour and then you got to come back on and all of that. So, Joe, how did you get into music? How did you get where you are? Um, it was just the right place at the right time. I had a friend who's younger brother was making lots of sort of dance music, garage music tunes. And he was, um, he was licensing them onto small labels as and when he did them. And so we just had the idea that we could do that ourselves. So we just started pressing up his records and driving around with them, uh, but selling them out of the back of, uh, out the back of my car. And so initially for me, it just started as a way of, of something to do of a way of sort of being connected with a party and club scene that I was a part of. Um, and it was fun. It was, it was social. It was hustling. It was talking to people. Um, I never necessarily saw it as a career, but I saw it as the best option that I had right then and there at the moment. Um, and after a few years of, of doing that, we weren't the best run business, but we had a lot of fun and we made some friends and we put out some good music and, Eventually, I got offered a job at a um, sort of helping out at a, at a label at Innocent, which was then a part of um, Virgin. Right. Um, and one thing led to another. And from, from Innocent, I went to Universal and I was at Universal for eight years as an A&R. And then from Universal, I left and went to Warners and I've been at Warners for about six years now. So I kind of fell into it. And then once I got in, I kind of made sure that I was able to stick around. And then just touching briefly, I guess, on a few of those points, because you kind of whizzed through that career bit. <laughs> um, when you first started, you know, what were the kind of music you were putting out with your mates and, you know, what was maybe your biggest tunes around those times? Um, they were lots of sort of producer-based, um, lots of producer-based garage records, um, and then we started to work with artists like Sweetie Irie, Miss Dynamite, Juice Man, Dead Bias. You know, we had a lot of people coming through the studio. The studio was a bit of a hub in West London. It was one of the few sort of places where you could make garage music in, in West London. But the, the mix we had, which kind of, which changed most for us, we, next door to us happened to be Damon Orban's studio. And he was taking a break from Blur and he was working on this new band called Gorillaz that no one really knew what it was going to be or what he was doing. I think it was just meant to be a bit of a side project for him. And um, 
one day he kind of came into the studio with this whole album of parts and just said to a couple of the producers that happened to be there, you guys take the album, re remix what you want to do, whatever tunes you wanted to. And um, those two producers, Ed Case and Carl H, happened to pick the first two singles by complete chance. Um, and I don't know that the label, which was Parlophone at the time, sort of, they would, they hadn't really started the, the, the campaign in earnest. So they kind of just let us run with a few white labels, which was really cool of them to do at the time. And one of those remixes, the Ed Case remix, um, just absolutely blew up instantly. And, 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 and luckily for us, at the, at the start of the record, Sweetie Irie had, had, had said, uh, it's the Middle Row thing, and Middle Row is the name of our label. And I think if they'd, if they'd known that the remix was going to be so big, I think they would have made us take the tag off. Um, <laughs> but it was just a great advert for us and what we were doing. And, and it led to sort of a lot of interest, the doors opened into us, and we, we signed a deal with EMI off the back of it. So that was probably our big... Yeah, big break. Yeah, at that point. Wicked. And I guess, what does that feel like? At, you know, you're working with your mates, you've put out this big remix, a label comes, you're not necessarily knowing what a label does, and they're like, hey, here's this check. You know, what is what what did that feel like to you guys? Why did you do it? EMI? What was the thought process behind all of that? To be honest, it was... it it. It was all very hand to mouth for us. We were trying to build something. We were scrabbling around. We weren't really paying ourselves. So although the check was was decent, was a decent amount of money, it was all you know. We, I think we just took the check, and there was like between artists and, and people running like me and my two mates running the label. There was like ten of us. I think we literally just took the check and divided it by how many people there was. <laughs> I think that was the way it was. That was the vibe of it. Um, looking back in hindsight. We had some great ideas, some stuff we had really worked out within ourselves. And um, I think some of the young managers and, 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 and young people putting out labels that I meet today are far more, more organized than we were, to be honest. Uh, but it kind of worked out through just sheer energy and enthusiasm. But I never remember there being a massive payday where everything was all right. We always had like, rent to pay and this to pay and that to pay and food and you know. Um, yeah. I get that. Yeah. And, and then, so, you're running this label, you're with EMI, and then, I guess, the opportunity comes to be an A&R man, you know, have a job in a label. What was that, what was that feeling like to you, you know, how, how did that happen? It was, it was, it was really, it was, it was one of the most defining moments of my life when I look back at it, like, I was always just, I didn't really know that I had a purpose and in music I kind of you know allowed me to like it was a it was a nice fit for my personality like you could be loud and you could be creative and you could you could you could I sort of knew how I wanted things to be and, and how to look and sound and stuff like that and, and and I enjoyed talking to to creative people and, and kind of it, I don't know it was just a fit for my personality so and I didn't really have anything of a career in mind. I had no idea what to really do with my life. Um, 
So every time I got a chance to operate and, and, and be involved with the business, I, I would take my chances. And so with, with Parlophone at the time, I got the chance to like sort out some remixes and help them set up a few showcases with, with an act that they'd signed. And every time they kind of let me in the building to do anything, for me, it was like, that's official. So I just, mm. they'd ask me to do a remix. I would do the next three remixes and sort out the choreography for the showcase and da 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 da, da. And like, you, you, just because it was, I, I loved doing it and, it and it seemed, it was, a, it was, it felt like it was giving me a purpose. Didn't think that at the time, but now I look back and that's what it was. So I never really expected that I would, to me, record labels were a million miles away. They were like the big shiny buildings. I never necessarily could see myself. I didn't know how you went about being an A&R person. They just looked like they had their great jobs <laughs> and they were like cool guys. It was an aspirational thing. Yeah. And, and they, um, and, and I got Jamie Nelson at Parliament offered me a job, said, I think I was just like calling him because maybe the, the middle road thing looked like it would come to an end. And maybe he called me and just was like, listen, I, I'm, I'm being put in charge of this label. I want to give you a job as an A&R. And I was like, what, what, what is that? What, do you, what is, I just didn't really know what it was. And he was like, well, you kind of do it at the moment and I'll help you do it. But I just think, Really, when I look back, it was an amazing chance because he gave me, because he just thought I had the right personality. Mm. He just liked me and just thought I, 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 obviously, I talked with authority about creative things. Like, I talked like I, you could call it blagging or you could just call it just like, it was just naive confidence yeah. about stuff. And, and, and he was like, you've got a personality, so don't worry about it. I'll tell you how to do the A&R, but you're the right type of person. He had an instinct about the type of person I was which I didn't see it myself. I was literally like, this guy's crazy to give me a job. I have no idea what A&R what &R is. Yeah. No idea how to, I don't know any of those people don't look like me or sound like me or I don't know about stuff like that. But he, he, he really took time and, and, and to kind of show me the technical part of the job. So I was, I was super lucky. But when I got offered the job, yeah, my first question when I got offered the job is what is a Okay. If you want to give me a job, an official job where I get money coming in my bank every month and I get an ID card and I get a parking space and I get a car allowance, <laughs> to me that was like, whoa. The I'd dream. have done anything. I'd have cleaned the floors. I'd have done anything. And I remember on the first day, I remember I kind of like showed my pass to the security guy who's down at Virgin. And I just thought, man, I'm just never going to, I'm never going to let them let me, I'm never going to leave this place. <laughs> Like to do whatever I can to be there. I was so amazed that I was even in the building. I thought it was like well, any day now. I thought I'm going to get a tap on the shoulder. Be like, oh, we thought you were the other Joe Kennedy. <laughs> That's fair. And I, I guess like I remember speaking to JB Nelson. We have to pick him up. He's such an OG in the game. And he said to me, you know, one thing he felt you were just really good at was just being on it in terms of like he'd get to a showcase. And you'd already met the band three, four times before he came down, made sure they were looking right, made sure everything was organised. Like, you know, and I guess that's something that young people listening or tuning in can understand is that you were just basically hungry, right? You were you were so ambitious that you did every job to the best of your ability. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and I think now I look back, I think the thing that was good about it was that I did it not, I did it, I wasn't trying to, like, 
my ambition wasn't to like have a big job, have a big car, get paid loads of money. Like, be, like my ambition wasn't like that. My ambition was to just like make sure this showcase looked great, to make sure this show looked great. I was just excited about that thing. Do you know what I mean? Like I wasn't like, oh, I, it wasn't an ego thing about a job or anything. It was just like I wanted to, I was excited about the, the, the thing that was in front of me. I never had the big plan, and I think that probably, that probably stood me in good stead. I think maybe if I'd have known about this great job and I'd been doing it with one eye on the job, I wouldn't have got so involved in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's something young people listening to Trinity could take from this, you know, is that you were just loving it. You were putting your all into it. You know, it wasn't about the paycheck or anything like that. And then, um, and then so one of the big artists you signed during your time there was Pixie Lot, I believe. Well, Pixie Lot, I signed at, at, at Universal after I left, after I left, uh, after I left uh, Virgin EMI. Yeah, I signed Pixie at, at, at um, at, at Mercury. At yeah, Mercury. sorry, so I guess we missed that bit. So you left, so you was at Virgin EMI with Jamie Nelson and then you went to Mercury? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, and then so you're at Mercury, I guess you're feeling a bit more experienced, seasoned, and you come across Pixie Lot. So to, let's talk about that, because that's how I first heard of you as a young person getting in the game, and I was like, you know, I don't know a guy, this guy, Joe Kennish, but... He's a guy that sold PC Lot. PC Lot selling a lot of records at the time. Um, just touch on that briefly from your point of view, what it was like, I guess, to have yeah. that. It was, Jamie had taught me, like, when I got into it, Jamie was like, okay, there's all these guys doing, and then indie guitar music was a big thing. So he was like, you can either, you, you know, he's like, you need to concentrate on pop music because you're experiencing dance and hustling and remixes and songs and that, like, this, this is a good place for you. You'll be able to get pop music and you like songs and really, you know, I, I, soul music's a big love of mine. And like, you can use, I had an affinity to songs and voices. Like I got songs and voices on a real basic level. So he's like, you can do this pop A&R thing. And I'm like, are you sure? Because previous to that, like, I would have considered myself a sort of underground dance and hip hop guy. I was obsessed with like New York hip hop obsessed. So, Back then, it was more like you did pop or you did indie. There wasn't much else going on, you know. Yeah. Like, obviously, big up to someone like Glyn, because Glyn really carved a, a sort of niche for himself doing, doing those records. But but I was with, with Jamie, and I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really make a name for myself in that. And, and Jamie taught me how to make records. So almost before I knew how to scout, I knew how to make records. I never, I was never the greatest scout. Like, all of you guys who work with me, you guys are much better than I ever was at, like, scouting and stuff like that. I, I learned how to make records. Jamie was helping, like, letting me sit in with him. So I got to watch him make Kylie records, Jamelia records, Simon from Blue Records, like, all records. He was just having platinum records for fun back then. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it, was, it was real A&R, like, from, like, nothing to finished album. Everything in between, you'd have a hand in it. So I felt like I kind of, kind of watched that. That was all I knew how to do because I'd just been watching him. So I joined Mercury because they didn't have anyone doing sort of A&R pop stuff. So I thought, at least I'll go there and there'll be no competition because I don't know what I'm doing. So the last thing I want is to go somewhere where there's someone better than me at what I do. Yeah. But there was, there was no one over there doing what I did. So I thought, at least I'll be the best person who's doing what I do. So it means they won't be, I won't be doubling up on the same act as someone else. I won't be, you know, 
and 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 it was it was it, it worked out for me. So, but but I, I joined there. This was in the old school days when I was trying to sign acts, and I'd be trying to sign this act, and I, you know, I kind of pride myself on being able to get on with acts quite well. And I get on with the act, and I think like they're going to sign to me, and then two minutes later they'd sign to Simon Gavin or Paul Adam, or they'd sign to someone else, and I'm like, no way they could have got on with this act. Like the act loved me, like. Yeah. I, I would we got a wicked, we was out all night. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and, then, and then and then always I'd find out, oh yeah, I'd say to I'd say to my boss, oh, they didn't sign to me, and my boss would be like, Yeah, but you don't you know that that's his brother in law. The manager's his brother in law, or don't you know that they did the spice girls together? Or don't you know? and I'd be like, Yeah, but I could have made the best record. They're like, No one cares about that. <laughs> like, like these people have relationships going back decades and you're no one. And you've never yeah. done nothing, and you're no one. Yeah. And 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 so I was there for a little while, and no one had signed me. And then there was this 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 girl whose demo I thought she could really sing, and I thought I know how to find songs. I know how to make records. What I don't know how to do is sign competitive deals because no one knows me from Adam. Yeah. And she had actually been signed by by. Under Jay Z's reign and for Def Jam in New York when she was fourteen, but she, was, but she was getting dropped. She was in the process of being dropped. So I was like, "Well, there's there's a fifteen year old who's being dropped. So surely they're going to sign to me." And she she did sign to me. Just about I got away with it. And uh, <laughs> sorry, that's my that's my ice cream delivery. Um, there we go. Get your ice cream, Jay. No, 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 no. It's all right. It's been Don't worry. <laughs> um, so, so, so she signed to me, and I thought, right, wicked. I know how to make records. Like now, I would have been a bit more scared about signing somebody who'd just been dropped, who didn't have anything going on. Da, 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 da. But then I just thought, right, that's the bit I could. That's the bit I was struggling with. Now I know how to do this bit. I know how to make records and stuff. And really, I didn't, but I thought I did. So that's good enough. Um, and then you're going to have tremendous success. Yeah, and it was it was it was uh, it was a mess and a struggle and da 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 da. And but 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 you know, bluff your way through it, and we got there, and and and, and we had an incredible amount of success, and and the label all got behind it, and because it was it was one of the label's big shots for the year, and, and yeah, we we, we um, yeah we had some success, and it kind of made. It probably came at the right time in my career because I'd had a couple of years of not having anything go on. So I realised, you know, it, I, I was humble about it. Well, I think I was. Probably people wouldn't agree, but but, but I learned the craft and I, and I and I did it, and it was it was really, it was really great. Yeah, it was it was fantastic achievement. I think. Okay, I'm sure there's many other acts you signed during that time, but Pixie just stuck out to me because I know she had a lot of success. And then you moved to Warner Records, as we touched on earlier. So what's that like for you, joining Warner Records? Like you said, you've been there six years, probably going on seven now, but what did what did that feel like? Yeah, it was good because... Um, I, it was good and it was scary. I, I'd like had some success at Universal. I'd just, I'd just done the Vamps, and the Vamps are enjoying great success at Universal. And I kind of thought to myself, how could I forget the Vamps? Oh my God. Yeah, but, but I, when I left with, with, 
the Vamps were kind of riding high and I got this offer to go and join Warners who again didn't have anyone doing what I did and it was being run by a friend Phil Christie who big up Phil because when I left in Innocent Virgin my first job the guy who ran it said ah oh, we're going to lose you who, who can I get to replace you and I was like why don't you give Phil the job he works in TV <laughs> Changed. Back on, yeah. So Phil actually replaced me. Phil actually replaced me at Virgin. Uh, and then he obviously went on to have like the most incredible career in publishing. And da, 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 da. So he was taken over at Warner. So it was a chance to work with a friend. It was another time where the roster didn't have any pop acts. And mm. I thought, but then I thought, oh, I've got a good roster at Universal. Do I really want to start again? But I thought, the way this game goes, you either go on a high to a place you want to go to, or you go on a low and knows where you're going to be. So I took the chance yeah. and went over to, um, to Warner's, yeah. Um, and then, you know, so you're at Warner, doing your thing, and then the superstar Julia Lipper comes around, you know. Can you talk to the people? Because the reason I get you to explain these things, just so you know, is that there's two types of, I think, people that are the audience for this podcast. There's artists, you know, that want to know what you've signed, why you find certain artists or what you've seen in certain artists. And there's people that want to be executives and do what you do and do what I do. So I think we have to touch on the, the Jewish situation because it's like, I remember hearing about a girl called Jewish Lipa, but it didn't feel like it was this massive bidding war or competition and even when she got signed I didn't know what she was going to do but currently she's the third most listened to artist on Spotify that's incredible so let's talk about that how did that come around how did that happen and you know what was the process of getting to where she is now yeah it wasn't a hot deal nothing that I've ever had big success with has been that hot a deal if I'm totally honest with you um and I haven't had major success with any artist that's had, bar one, I haven't had major success with any artist that's previously had music out. Mm. So, I, the way I do it is I just meet someone that I like and I'm interested in and I want to hang out with and I want to like see what they can do. And I approach it from that way, which is quite a naive, basic way of working. It's not particularly stat-based. It's not particularly process-based it's just based on a gut and an instinct about who i want to be around for the next two three years and do it with one of them like i'd heard i'd heard a, a couple of demos on soundcloud which were good but they weren't like stop the traffic who the hell is this you know they weren't polished they were someone doing some soundcloud covers in their bedroom but interesting because the song choices were quite interesting. And then I, I went and met uh, Ben Mawson because mm. I was looking for new acts. So I, I had to catch up with Ben, see what he had. And I'd heard about this girl do it. So I'm thinking, I know that they don't want to play it to anyone, but if I go there, shoot the shit with him for a bit, then hopefully I'll get to hear something about this girl. Yeah. And, and, and so we eventually get onto the subject of her and he says, yeah, yeah, I've got her, but we're not. We're not playing music to A and R's. We're not seeing no A and R's for a bit, like which is like that's like catnip saying that to an A and R. 
So yeah. that was driving me crazy and that was really annoying. But then he took a call and he said, oh, lucky for you, like, she's about to come in and sign some papers. So just by chance, she just walked in and she was like, yeah, she was just a ball of energy. She started rap, like, I think the Chance the Rapper or Future mixtape had just come out. So she starts, have you heard this tune? And then she starts rapping it at me. I'm like, yeah. And then she starts rapping the whole tune at me. <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, mate. Like, she's just a character. And yeah. then I just, I liked her. I just was like, I want to hang out again. Like, I, I had no idea what type of record she'd make, but I knew it'd be interesting. Like, I was interested. Mm. And it was just a gut reaction that something could work. She was super young. She was a bit sort of, she was, let's just say raw, a raw talent. But again, I just thought like, this is what I can do. Like my skill set and personality match this person. Because that's mm. what, for me, with signing an act, it's like, I've passed on loads of acts that I've got on to be successful. But 99% of them, I'm cool with that. Because I'm like, that just wasn't a, fit for me personally mm. and like you could have a, 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 a person with incredible talent and if they're not a fit for my skill set I don't believe that they'll have success with me so I'm trying to find yeah. people to fit with my skill set that I can help um, yeah she and I, I just felt like she did I was with her I was just positive that I knew how that I was the right person for it yeah yeah I mean I, I get that that totally makes sense and then you know, it's funny because the story I mentioned to you the other day, touching on it briefly, where I was told by somebody else at the game that you made the decision that new rules had to be a single, which felt like a turning point or a moment that kind of spearheaded their off into, you know, a next level trajectory. Um, what was that like for you, obviously working that campaign and to young people listening, like, having that feeling of I need to back my gut, you know, I need to really go with this record, you know, what did that, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm uncomfortable with people, like, with it being characterised in that way, because I think that really what this job is about is, like, you make lots and lots of decisions, you get some right and some wrong, and over the course of time you hope you get more right than wrong and so there were probably there were, there were hundreds of decisions made throughout the process with her that, that, that led to her stardom so it definitely it definitely wasn't down to just one moment or or, or that mm. but but that was certainly a song that I liked but he, he, what I will say about that story of that song is like loved the idea of the song from the first moment like she'd heard it so she got it and I think she got it just because she liked it like instinct wise like her reaction to songs is the same as mine like that chat like it's a hit doesn't mean anything to her and the mm. same way it doesn't mean anything to me like it's got I just gotta like it like, I just gotta vibe with it like this person wrote it or that person wrote it it's a hit it doesn't mean anything if it doesn't move me and it and, and, did the same for her and it was different and it was interesting so really the same approach i would take to signing an artist would take to songs like it's interesting it doesn't sound like anything else and it it it, it like it tickles me do you know what i mean like it just gets me and 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 and, and so and i will back myself on those songs and 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 
and I will encourage artists to like to, to explore that part of their taste. Um, yeah, and so 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 that definitely the way. But to, to be fair, you you need an artist who's super brave to make those sorts of decisions, mm. and and her in particular, like she's really her motivation for making decisions is 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 about what excites her and her taste rather than fear of not having a hit. Yeah, yeah. Which is, I guess, something we encourage artists all to kind of do is not think about the so-called hit. You know, don't make music because you're trying to get some sort of top 10 or top 20, you know. Make I, you would hope. I think actually a lot of artists, I, I listen to some songs and I, I just... Sometimes I honestly I listen to songs and I was like, there's no way you sat there and you liked that record. Like you just <laughs> wanted to hit. It's just I can't believe you liked it. <laughs> yeah. So you like your own music. <laughs> but I think that the, the, the really interesting records, you know, I, I think are mostly when you know people take a chance to do something differently. Yeah, and then look, you have the whole team, big up team Warner, everyone involved because she goes on to win, you know, two Brits, a Grammy. It's just incredible. And, you know, even seeing the the comeback album, um, well, sophomore, I say you'd say, the second one that a lot of people say is so hard. When I joined the company, I started working around me and seeing that rollout and that launch just felt amazing. You know, it felt like you guys really honed in on a concept, an idea, and you found those kind of records to do it. So... I guess, like, what we could do now, we've touched on a few things. Um, we should get into some questions because there's a few coming in, Joe. People want to pick your brains. Um, so we've got one here from Pete Kennedy. You should have put it in a question box. We just told off Pete. Um, but he goes, Joe, out of interest, how close was the song demo for New Rules from Emily, Ian and Caroline to the final? Um... I think that all the writers would say that it's like a, it, it's it's a it's a completely different thing with her on it. Like the basics were there for sure, but the 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 the, the feel of the song is so different. I think if, if if yeah, the feel of it is just it is so different, and actually you've got Doer's voice is so distinctive that that. It couldn't have been sung in a in. She had to sing it in her own way, so actually, it, it's significantly different. I think. All right, perfect. So we've got another question here from Jay, who's basically going, "Evening, both. Really enjoying the talk so far. My question is: When attempting to sign Julia, what do you think set yourself apart from other labels like A and R men?" Um, I think that I think that we didn't have anything and I didn't have anything like her on the label there was nothing there and I think that she had that same thing that I did where she wanted to go somewhere that where she had some blue water around her she wanted to be the only thing there I think um, I think and, and by the way, it wasn't just me. It was the whole label that they, they were into and her manager, um, Ben, was into. 
uh, knowing her a bit better, I would have think that she would have gone on. There would have been a lot of gut involved for her as who she felt was right. And so I think lucky like that. We were also first, so I think that they they trusted that we were doing it for the right reasons and not because the deal was getting hot. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know the rest. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't like thinking about it too much because maybe because. We'll start worrying that, that it could have gone somewhere else. <laughs> it's an interesting one. Uh, we got another one here from Mr. Rich Costello. Uh, you've had so much success. <laughs> what did you learn from Kid British? Did that help you with your future success? I've learned from every single app that I've ever did. And, and, and actually, they were... Yeah, there's still members of that group that I still chat to now. So, so yeah, I've learned, learned from all that. It's all, it's all, um, it's all experience. Um, okay. And you feel like that helped you with your future success? Like just the learning experience, the, the learning from the bad times, the good times, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, of, of course. Of course. Yeah. I mean, not, not everything is going to be, uh, go exactly the way you want it but but you know there was some and you know as long as you're signing stuff for the right reasons it's, you're not gonna you're not gonna yeah you're gonna be able to get something out of every, every situation nice nice answer there Jay. um and in terms of running a team these are like my personal questions that i want you to ask people want to know because how how hard is it to be a someone that, as a head of A&R, where you've got, you know, and I'm probably one of them, one of your kids, you could say, phoning you, reading you up, you really trust having your own acts with you and Nippa, you know, how is it? For people that want to be an executive, what is it? Yeah, let's let's talk about that. What is it like? How is it being a head of A&R? What is your day-to-day -day like? You know, how busy is it? Let's shed some light on that. Um, I find it quite hard. Well, I, fi I find it quite hard at the start in that it's um, the way that I work with my actors. I get really involved with them. I'm not good at doing a million things at once. I'm, I have a sort of a brain that really gets passionate and goes off in a tangent and I tend to forget that the gas is on and this is happening and da 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 and I'm just getting engrossed in something. So I'm, I'm much better like that. And, and A&R is a project-based thing and I'm good at like, just getting involved with that. And I think when you kind of are, are managing a team, you have to have your eyes on lots of different things and you have to kind of step back. So I think that um, it, it's, it's a real challenge, a challenge to, to give as much help as you need to everyone to... I, I model, I would like to be like how Jamie was for me and to give as much mentorship to people as Jamie did to me um, and give people their chance and to balance that against also giving the most to your acts because I know that when I'm good at my job, I'm like, I'm really... Sorry. I know that when, I know that when, I'm, when I'm working best with my um, acts, I'm, I'm like really, I'm blinkered. And I'm just working on them. So those are two conflicting things that you have to balance a bit. But yeah, it's, I don't really like 
I don't really like my style isn't really telling people what to do. I prefer to kind of like do, do to do the to do the job well, and hopefully people can kind of see that. All right, perfect. We got more questions coming in, Joe. We're in demand tonight. Um, Holly Radders goes, "What's the best piece of advice someone gave you in your career?" Good question. It's a really good question. Uh, um, I think that basically it wasn't necessarily direct advice, but <laughs> but 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 I remember complaining about the music that someone else was putting out and I just kind of was unreverent about everything I was reverent about everything that everyone else was doing because like mm. what I said when I started I just thought I was pretending that everyone else knew how to do the job so I felt like I was the fraud in the room the whole time mm. and I remember talking to uh to an A&R guy who, who was really good and I'm like yeah and they have Someone else put out a record, and I'm like, I must be wrong, because they put it out, and I think it's rubbish, but they think it's great. And this person was like, no, most of what other people do is really, like, terrible. And, like, mm. and, 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 and I'm not explaining it very well, but what they did was, was it was like, don't judge, don't judge yourself of what other people are doing. Like, be true to your own sort of creative standards. Mm. And it's all right to have that sort of creative arrogance of, like, that's not good enough. I'm not gonna. I don't think what they're doing is good enough. Like my artists have to do better, and the record that my roster ha puts out has to be better, and the record that our records that our label puts out have to be good. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And just yeah. and, and and everyone's good is different, but I think that that thing about sort of having a level of taste for yourself is is really good. It wasn't direct advice, but it was just like an attitude of. Don't judge yourself by just whatever other people are doing. Do you know what I mean? Hold yourself to some sort of standard, which which you don't always hear, especially in other people's eyes. But I think that was kind of not direct advice, but that was that was good. I think. Believe in your own source. Believe in your own source. Mm. <laughs> Paul Kennedy has another one here. Was New Rules a song pitched to you, Joe? Paul really was. Yeah, I mean, what what happened with that was was was, uh, no, it wasn't. It was it was it was a. It came through osmosis. Dua was working with the people. Blah 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 blah. It was like it it, it was a song that just sort of came into the the into the process. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't an old fashioned pitch. No. Perfect. And we've got more here. So I can't pronounce the name. Charmed Gleek. What do you look for when signing someone? Is social media presence important? Or is the work and drive enough? How can you make yourself stand out? I think you finally touched on it earlier, didn't you? But you could touch I on mean, it. like, you know this, Lloyd, because we talk about this all the time in A&R. Like, there is, no, there is no magic formula for what people, what, what it is that we look for beside people as i said i really had success with artists who've never put out music before but 
as you know, in our A&R meetings, we kick the tires. You know, we play the song. Is the song great? Is the voice great? Yeah. You know, social media is like people. People sometimes like dismiss our social media as just numbers, but really, social media are fans. So social media is the can be a modern equivalent of walking into a gig and seeing five hundred people singing the words. So it's it's a, it's, it's fan engagement. Now, obviously, it could be cheated, and not all, every fan is equal and da, 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 But but it's a way of looking at whether someone's whether people like what someone's doing. So it's important, but it's not everything. I mean, always songwriting ability voice and just that kind of way of presenting yourself yeah. is going to trump everything else. It's going to trump everything else. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, but I may be more old school than other people. and so Other people might look more at figures, but I, I, I'm kind of looking at the, at the long-term future of the artists, how big that they can be. And I think that that's what we do as a label as well, kind of what we're interested in. And that's how we're built. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. And then we've got another question from Rich here. <laughs> Is it ever too late to be an A&R? Is there an age when you can forget about trying to get into a label as an A&R person? Um... Is it ever too late? It's not too late for you, Rich. I think there's still, there's definitely still time. Um, but for, for people, I mean, look, I, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, new music is of, of, of often led by young people. Mm. And I think you do have an advantage if you are off the scene. Like when I first got into it and I was doing like, garage music and club music like I was in the club I was listening to the music all the time like I, I was like um, I was obsessed with it it just came from a gut place um, and it was a help to me because I was like in the culture of the London club scene mm -hmm. the UK club scene um, so I think that from that point of view, it does help to be to be young and to be of the culture of new music and exciting new stuff and to say a similar age to some of the artists you're looking at. Um, but that's not to say it should be a bar for anyone, but I, I do think it helps. Also, I mean, I don't know what other people are like, but the energy I had then when I started, I don't have the same type of energy in the way that I did. I basically worked, I didn't, it didn't feel like it at the time, but I basically worked for three or four years really not getting paid. Like, when I look at the average pay I got per month for those three or four years, it was, it was, it was, it was nothing. I would have definitely earned more working at a supermarket, 100%. But it didn't feel like it at the time, because I just had all this energy and I just wanted to be the host getting in clubs for free and occasionally I'd go to like a label party and get free drinks and I'm like, you know, like, I wouldn't do that now at my age, but it's something that a younger person might do more more easily if they're if, if, if they're able to. So I think that in many ways it favours you being young, but there's no barrier to anyone. At the end of the day, what labels want is people who are going to connect them with incredible artists. If yeah. you can do that and you're older, then then, then fine. But but I'm not going to lie, it is it is it is it is it is balanced towards younger people. It suits younger people, I think.
Alright, no, that's fair. And um Anton Powers says a song you love but no stats or song. But I think it means a song. Tell us a song you love. Oh sorry, here we go. It's a song you love but has no stats or a song you hate but has all the stats. <laughs> oh man. I mean Anton works with me, so this is how I answer it. Like, like I, w- <laughs> I want someone else to sign the song that I hate <laughs> with, 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 with all the stats. So there's a label we do well, but I don't have to listen to the song. Savage. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, um, I don't know. I have. I have to. I'll say the song that I love. I'll, have to, I'll say the song that I love. But Anton, you should sign the one that I have. Yeah, but what is, but what is, <laughs> what is there? Okay, right. So I think he was, he was answering that kind of question. Yeah, I thought yeah. he was answering if you had a song you love. I might have been talking about Lots of songs I love. Yeah. Um, okay, so for, for the young people tuning in, um, what's three tips you'd give to the young executive trying to do your job, trying to do my job, you know, what is, you come across young people, you've done panels, you've done talks, people come up to you, Jojo, I want to be at ALR, I want to work for you. What's your, I say free, but it could be more. What's your advice and tips? Okay, so first thing, whenever anyone comes up to me and says that they want to do an a and B, A and R, blah, 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 I say to them, okay, cool. So if I give you an office and a checkbook tomorrow, what would you sign? And 99 times out of 100, they can't answer that question. (laughs) And I do it not to be a dick, although it is funny sometimes, but I do it because it's to show them that, like, that is the job. The job is essentially knowing about new, exciting artists. And anyone can be an A&R, but to be an A&R and get paid for it is a lot more difficult. Now, I can't promise you if you'll get paid for it and whether and how much you'll get paid for it, but you can be an A&R and you should be an A&R. You should be looking at stuff, working out what's good and stuff. So when you get the chance to speak to someone like me, not that it's that much of a big deal, but when you get a chance to speak to someone who maybe is in a position and they say, all right, what would you sign? You can prove to them that you're that you're serious about new artists like you can prove to them that they, 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 and that's true for anything in life like if you want to do anything do it and then we can work out whether you're going to get paid for it later on but you need to be able to show intention there's so many incredibly motivated young people out there that you need to show you're incredibly motivated as well like if you want to be an actor act do free stuff and then show that you're really committed to acting and then you might get the thing want to be a scriptwriter, write scripts. Who knows when they're going to get picked up, but you can do that. You can't wait for someone to take you from a standing start. So I'd say that's the first thing. Like, know the landscape. Because if you don't know it, then how do you know you want to do it? If you're not doing it, how do you know you want to do it? Yeah. You can't come up to me and say you want to be an A&R, and then I say, all right, who are the cool new acts? And you don't know any of them. Well, then how do you know? You've never done A&R. You haven't got that mindset. You just have a picture of what the job is. And you think you want that lifestyle, but you don't, you don't, you don't want to do it. Mm. It's like you come up to me and say, Joe, I want to be a singer. And I say, sing me a song. You go, well, I've never sung a song before. And I'm like, well, then, <laughs> do you know you want to be a singer? Yeah. Uh, so that's the number one thing. Um, 
I think. And then I think. I think this goes to artists and, and, and sort of young people at AR, like, really. Really. Um, I think difference is really important now, and to artists doing interesting stuff. So I'd say just always kind of like migrate towards people who sound different and catch your interest. When launching an artist these days, the first thing moment that they have to do is they have to kind of make people kind of stop and their jaws drop a little bit and go, "What the fuck's that?" Like that, that's what you want. So try and go for things that are that just catch your interest. When anyone you can just catches your interest, that's a sign. Like, don't try and like be like, oh, they could be big and they're a bit like that, and I don't really like it. But I could do this and that. Like, don't think like that. Think like this is really interesting. This gets me because if it gets you, it get other people. So I think that gut element is is super, is super important. I'd say people need to to, to follow that. Um, and then I guess be relentless and surround yourself with new acts. You got to be in the middle of it. You got to surround yourself with new acts. And make yourself useful. Yep. If you can't be used, you're not useful. There you go. You said it better than me. A <laughs> um, couple more before we wrap up. Uh, Benji here says, how important is the approval of your peers when deciding on a song or record release? He's going for both of you. Joe's answering tonight. <laughs> not me. How <laughs> uh, uh, important is the approval of your peers when deciding on a song or record release? Um, like this comes back to that point, like where I think that I think you have to be arrogant about your own taste. So I say I don't really. If I really love something, I don't really care what anyone thinks. I'll go into a mindset of no one else knows what they're talking about. Like I'll go into that sort of like shell of like because I'm gonna take a song. And I'm going to be fighting for it for maybe the next six months to twelve, six months to twelve months to get it through, to get it picked to, to, as a single, to, to work through, to convince radio it's great, streaming it's great. I'm just going to go to war for this song. So I just kind of get in a mindset of I love it and I trust my own taste, and I don't care what people say about it. And if and if someone says oh, I don't really rate that thing you're doing, or I get that impression. Ooh. This is my phone that keeps telling me I've been on social media for too long. Now, if someone kind of like tells me stuff, I just have this. Sometimes I'll be rude to them. <laughs> I just have this thing in my head, like, right, go, they're an idiot. Like, they don't know what they're on about. Because I'm trying to. Because I think that that's how. The most interesting stuff that I've ever been a part of hasn't, hasn't been when everyone has agreed it's great. Usually, them songs that everyone agrees are great are not very good. But it's the time when. It's the time when, like, you've got a little feeling that no, there's something special about this that, 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 are, that are the records. And it's scary, so you've got to start getting... I, I find I've got to start getting defensive and like being a bit of a dick. and like That's, that's what I find. Um, so the approval of my peers is not important at all. Like I, I'll go into a mode where I just like, I don't really care what they think. Having said that, you, there are a couple of people, and it's not necessarily A&R people, but there are a couple of people in the office who like... 
I, I, I like their opinion. Like I like their opinion, and they know who they are. Like I like their opinion. One of them I just see is listening at the moment. She knows who she is. But there's a couple of people that I just like. They they tend to get it right, and it could be anyone from like the security guy to the to 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 your to to your auntie. Like, but occasionally there's the odd person. I'm just like, what do you think of it? Because 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 I like their ears. Do you know what I mean? I, I, not, not like, I don't need everyone else like it in the label. No, definitely not. Mm. Now, it's funny you say that. I think we all have those people where you just say, what do you think of this? You know, I've got a few friends outside of music that I can just say, oh, what do you, what do you think? What do you, you know, have a listen to this. Yes. You know, what's your take? And it's this, you know, it's a sound bed, I guess, you'd call it. A couple trustworthy people. 100%. And then you got, yeah, you play it to people. When You play songs to people when they're in the room. And then you, once you played it to 10 people, you realise, oh, there's a dip in energy after the second verse. Like, I noticed that the, the temperature in the room drops at that little moment and it picks up for that. And people see people's body language change at this bit of the song. And you just kind of, after years, you just kind of get that experience of like what it's like playing new music or new artists to people. And you can kind of like, and you can kind of sense it. But it's not in a straightforward thing like, Oh, blah blah blahs, blah blah blahs. Uh, wants to sign it, therefore I want to sign it. To be honest, there's a lot of people out there that when they want to sign it, I think oh, it can't be any good. <laughs> <laughs> we shall name no names. Definitely. Sometimes someone goes for a record. I'm like, oh, this must be trash. <laughs> fair, fair play, fair play. All right. <laughs> um, we got science here says as a songwriter. How somebody can reach to an A and R person? Would you recommend? Um, get your song sung by a decent artist. Um, get your song to publishers who are kind of in the songs business. Um, yeah, I think that I think that. I think that you have to like, what, what do you want to speak to an A&R about? Like an A&R person is not necessarily there to assist songwriters. An A&R person is there to sign artists and help artists make records for the label. So I is what an, a, a songwriter and, and, uh, and, and an A&R person, are they going after the same thing? Mm. Occasionally it crosses over, but it's not necessarily the same thing. So I would just be like, my question back would be like, why do you want to speak to an A&R person? Is it to place a song with an artist? Okay, well, you can, you can send it. But I, I'll tell you that most A&R people are deluged with, with records and barely have enough time to do the records sent to them by like really established songwriters. So I think it can be good to kind of make sure that you're, maybe you have a filter system, you have a manager, you have a publisher who's maybe listening to the songs first, because to be honest, your chances of an unsolicited song being sent to an A&R person and it getting cut with an artist are next to zero. Yeah. It's usually going to come through a published filter or something like that. Like personally, I wish I had time to, listening to songs is my favorite part of the job. I wish I had time to listen to all the songs that I do, but, but unsolicited songs, I just rarely have the time to, to listen to them. Yeah. Oh, right. publishers and and, and, and and try and work with artists try and work with new artists would be what I would say and our last question what is the best entry point into the industry for a brand new artist I mean 
I would say is like, as a brand new artist, what is your goal? Your goal isn't to enter the industry. Your goal is to have success, right? And to get your music heard by the most people you possibly can. That's your goal. So your best point into the industry is the best point that, that, that helps your career get to where you want it to go. But I think that, that sometimes artists focus on being with a label rather than like their own career. And, and being with a label, as, as you know, is no magic bullet. Nope. Um, it's, it's really not like it, it's, we, we, we have lots of resources, but we, you know, it's a struggle to try and break artists. And, and if artists are, aren't in the right place and, and at the right level, then we're not going to break them either. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's no right or wrong place to break to, to work in the industry when it's right for you, I guess. But what I would say is there's so much a young artist can do now to get themselves out there. There's so much in their own hands in terms of getting themselves out there. And I would say that focusing too much energy on entering the industry is a mistake. And, and really a lot more energy can often be spent on making sure the music and the content is really good. And also like major record labels are like the end of a long process. Like we're kind of, we're not necessarily the right entry point for a brand new artist oftentimes. You know, I think sometimes it can be like having a great manager, having a great live agent, you know, having a good video director who you're making content with. Like there can be lots of other actually far more helpful places to, en to enter into industry relationships with than, than with a major record label. I agree. I agree. I've just seen Joe Gossa's entered. Joe Gossa, you're coming on here. I'm calling Joe you tomorrow. Too. Joe too. Joe Gossa. <laughs> um, so I'd say, Joe, you know, we're coming to the end. Um, a question I always ask a lot of people, what would you tell the younger Joe Kented? You know, what you know now, the success, the highs, the lows, what would you tell the younger Joe Kented? <sighs> Bear in mind, you've got a minute and a half. <laughs> I, 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 um, I've had a really great career and I've been really lucky that so many of the artists have, 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 have trusted me to work with them. And I've, I guess I wouldn't want to tell myself anything because I wouldn't want to necessarily have done much different. I think the career part of things have, have been, have been really, have, I've been lucky in. I think the, um, Yeah, I, I, I think I think I maybe trusted my gut musically more early would have been um, would have been helpful to me. And there would have, there's a there's a few things that maybe I could have artists I could have got involved with um, if I'd have trusted my gut a bit more. But overall, it's been it's been good. I'd maybe say a couple less tequilas, maybe. Don't go to INAPA quite so many times. It's not necessary, um, but overall, it's been pretty. It's been pretty good. Oh yeah, right. sign Adele. Sign Adele. I'd have told myself that. <laughs> Wait, did you pass up on it? Oh, no, no I didn't pass up on it. Don't spread that room. I didn't pass up on it. <laughs> I didn't pass up on it. All right, no, signing your leg. No, thank you very much for doing this.
Yeah, I hope everyone tuning in has learned. And this has been Tempo Flow Music Industry Talks. This is also a podcast on Apple and Spotify. The video will be back here to watch. Joe, thank you very much. Pleasure. See you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye bye.